morning in the book of Romans on this uh, Memorial Day weekend, of course, we're reminded of uh, those people who have put themselves in harm's way and uh, who have paid uh, a huge price. And I want to suggest to you that the reason is because they gave themselves to something bigger than themselves. They gave themselves to something bigger than themselves. They gave themselves to America. They gave themselves for the cause of liberty. They gave themselves for the cause of freedom. They gave themselves for a way of life that we cherish. But they gave themselves to something bigger than themselves, something more important than just me. And it reminds me this morning of our missionary friends who are uh, at home because their friend and colleague was killed on the field just a couple of weeks ago, Lee and Ann Pitts, who are living here in our mission's house. And he was murdered a few weeks ago, and, you know, the question might be, you know, well, why would he be in such a risky situation? Why would the Pitts put themselves in such a risky situation? And I would suggest to you that it's because he's a part of something much bigger than himself, or they are a part of something much bigger than themselves. They're a part of the kingdom of God, the king of which says, go into the world and make disciples. They're a part of something much bigger than just themselves. And I think when we're Christians, uh, we come to understand that we too are a part of something much bigger than just ourselves. I think it's rather easy to believe uh, and to become sort of uh, so self-centered that we ourselves are the be-all and end-all of everything God is about. That God sort of exists for us. And that salvation is all about a be-all and end-all in us, you know? And, uh, you know, it's easy to understand that because his love and his sacrifice is so exceptional, and it is for us, that it feels like that. I mean, Jesus put himself in harm's way, paid the ultimate price, so that you and I could enjoy the salvation that comes to us freely as the gift of God. And so it's easy to kind of think, you know, that God must exist for us. But I want to suggest to you this morning, we are a part of something much bigger than that. And our salvation is a part of something much bigger than just our own salvation. We might start there, but there's way more. We exist for him. It's about his glory. It's about his agenda and his reality and his truth. And the universe, the entire universe is involved. And so our passage this morning from Romans chapter 8, as we keep working our way through the book of Romans, uh, reminds us that our salvation is about something much bigger than just ourselves. In fact, God has the whole creation in mind. The whole creation. And uh, the picture of the future is glorious. And beyond even the creation is the creator and the glory of God that's to be revealed in the future. God has the whole creation in mind. And, uh, but in the meantime, we are caught in the war zone, if you will. And there are three uh, groans in this passage this morning. There are three groanings. You'll notice we're in um, Romans chapter 8, verse 19. 
It says the whole creation itself waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed, for the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up until the present time. The whole creation groans. But not only does the creation groan, notice we groan. Verse 23, not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that's seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we don't yet have, we wait for it patiently. The whole creation groans. We groan, but look at this. The very Spirit of God groans with us. In the same way, verse 26, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. The whole creation groans. We groan. And the very Spirit of God groans as we live in this war zone before the victory uh, will be revealed and completed. So the creation groans. I mean, I don't think it's too hard to understand this. Um, when God first did creation, it was all good. Uh, in Genesis chapter 1, in verse 31, it says that God sort of stood back and evaluated, and God said of everything that he made that it was all very good. That's how creation started out. But now, creation, we're told, groans. Creation is frustrated. Why? Because God cursed creation after the rebellion of man against himself. The tornadoes, the floods, the fires, the earthquakes. That's not natural. I hate it when they say there's been a natural disaster. No, what's natural is for the creation to be like God created it. What's natural is for us as people to be like God originally intended us to be. What's unnatural is the curse that's come upon the creation that is behind all the upheaval and the disruption. It's not natural for animals to do violence to one another. It's not natural to have insect blights. It's not natural that there's germs every place, that there's genetic mutations, that there's air pollution and oil spills. Creation went from glorious to groaning. And we're part of it until it's released from this present uh, condition. Uh, on the news this week was uh, Joplin, Missouri and that tornado. Uh, from that kind of thing to the tsunami that hit Japan and so on. But you'll notice in the Bible that it says that God did this, verse 20, for the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, it wasn't natural, but by the will of the one who subjected it. But how did he do it? He did it in hope. In hope. 
Like this is temporary and there is more to come. And God's got a plan for having it this way. That the war is part of the process to get to the glory. And God subjected the creation in hope. And uh, notice also in that verse, it says, verse 21, uh, that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay. That sounds so the opposite of evolution to me. That the creation has been subjected to the bondage of decay. And I don't know about you, but in the stuff that I own of this creation, that's the truth. My house needs to be painted. Wood needs to be replaced. You know, my car rusts. You know, bondage to decay. And that's not natural. That's not the way it was intended. It's the consequence of rebelling against God. And it's a message to us about the freedom that God wants to bring us into in the future. And God is the one himself who subjected it, but he did it in hope. And notice what uh, we're looking for. What, what, what's creation waiting for? Uh, verse 19, the creation waits in eager expectation for what? For the sons of God, the children of God to be revealed. Notice it doesn't say for the son of God to come back. He'll be there and that'll be a part of it. But what the whole creation is waiting for is for this, the apex of God's creation, mankind, to be revealed for who he really is. And then the whole creation will be let loose from this subjection to its frustration. There's still a mystery about why God tolerates the world the way it is. People still complain. In fact, the world kind of mocks and says, oh, if there's a God and if he's so good, then why doesn't he do something about the world? And I'm saying to you, he did. He sent his son to the front lines to win the war. And he paid the ultimate price to set freedom into the hearts of the sons and daughters of God. And he's in the process of drawing to himself those children that whom he foreknew. He, he is calling to himself. And, uh, and that's the mystery behind why is it like it is. You know, the full number of people has yet to be drawn in from Adam's family into the family of God. People who, according to the foreknowledge of God, are not yet come. In Matthew chapter 24, when Jesus was here, he said, listen, the good news of the gospel has to go to all the world, and then the end will come. Because all over the world, from every tongue and tribe and nation, there are people whom God knows and whom God loves, and for whom Christ died. And uh, until that time, however, the whole creation groans. And Paul, in this passage, compares it to childbirth. He says, you know, it's the agony that leads to the ecstasy. It's the groaning that leads ultimately to the birth of the sons and daughters of God, and eventually into the glory of what God originally intended when he first created people. So the whole creation groans. Second, we are a part of creation. So we groan as well. Uh, notice in verse 23, not only does the creation groan, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons and daughters of the living God. I want to say to you this morning, give yourself permission to groan. I bet you have some stuff in your life that's worthy of groaning. That's not the way you wish it was. 
Give yourself permission to groan. But pay attention to this verse. Um, notice what it says. We who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly. Give yourself permission to groan, but do it inwardly. Take it to God because he understands. Nobody wants to be around somebody who's groaning about everything all the time. Notice, we groan, but it's inward. The deepest things in our life, the things that mean the most to us, that are not the way they should be, create this kind of groaning inside. It's like we're in the war before the victory has been realized. Uh, we grow. Give yourself permission to groan. First of all, you and I, you know, we are not what we were meant to be. Grown. Don't you feel that way about yourself? Don't you wish you didn't have the limitations you have? Don't you wish your body would just always be 21? You know? So we groan. Not only that, but then we live with other people who are not what they're supposed to be. Groan. Right? A lot of groaning comes from that. Um, not only that, but we live in bodies that give out. Groan. Our old ways in Adam die hard, Romans 7. Groan. You ever try to change? You ever try to make a New Year's resolution and actually live it out? Groan, right? We're just not what we are meant to be. And it creates this kind of groaning inside. We're limited. We have limitations. It creates groaning. But what we do have is hope. Just like the creation, we know that this isn't the whole deal. Just like the creation, we know that there's a better day coming, a day that's going to be glorious. And we wait in eager expectation. And notice how uh, the Bible talks about this in verse 23. It's uh, not only so, we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for what? Our adoption as sons. I picture us like a little kid in an orphanage someplace. And the little kid has been spoken for and somebody says, I'm going to adopt you. And, and they begin to pay the price to adopt the child. And uh, every day that little kid gets up and he's so excited, he's got a suitcase packed, he's got a towel over his shoulder, he's waiting for the person to show up to take him home to glory, to go live where they live and get out of this orphanage. He's already getting gifts from this person who loves him. He's already got promises from this person who's going to adopt him. And that's the picture that Paul paints about you and I living in this world, that we have some father who's chosen us and adopted us and gifted us and paid the price for us. And we're just waiting for him to come and to take us home so that the groaning can stop. And uh, not only that, but he says um, we're also not just waiting to be adopted, but also for our new bodies. Um, liberated, he says, uh, the redemption of our bodies. You might remember in uh, Philippians, the Apostle Paul talked about, this is the greatest passage. We eagerly wait for a Savior from heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies. Amen. Transform our lowly bodies from a lowly little body, right? That they will be like his glorious body. What a great picture. This past week, um, Barb and I were invited uh, to go to a 50th birthday party for her cousin. She has a cousin, Susie, who has cerebral palsy. She's been in a wheelchair from day one. Sweetest little girl. Loves Jesus. 
but body just totally racked with deformity and unable to control her motions and so forth. Her whole life, somebody's had to carry her everywhere she goes. And here she's having a 50th birthday party. And I thought, 50 years. But someday, the Lord's going to come. He's going to give her a new body. Can you imagine how great that is? That's her hope. Her parents have both died. Her sister has sacrificed her life to take care of her, never got married. Just think of all the different you know, dimensions of tragedy that come on Memorial Day when somebody is either killed, some dad or, or some mom, and some child grows up now without their parent or is wounded and all the implications of that throughout the rest of their life. And along comes God, our Father, who's going to adopt us and going to give us a glorious new body someday. Praise God. What are we waiting for? What's the creation waiting for? We're waiting for the full number of those whom God knows and loves to come home to him. You know, um, sometimes I think we get uh, somewhat mixed up. In um, Romans uh, 8, in this passage, if you notice these verses, the 24th and 25th verse, it says, for in this hope we were saved. In this hope, in these great promises that God has made, that's where we were saved. We were saved in this hope. Now look, but hope that's seen is no hope at all. Hope that's seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we don't yet have, we wait for it patiently. I think uh, over the years of um, you know uh, dealing with people and so forth, that oftentimes... Um, People get confused about what God has promised us for then, and they demand it now. And if you get confused about what's for then and what's for now, you live a very frustrated life. You'll notice in this passage that it says, we as Christians have received the first fruits of the Spirit. We haven't received everything that God has for us. It's just like grace. We've received grace, but the Bible says we should put our hope fully on the grace that's to be revealed to us when Christ comes back. There's more to come. And if we get confused about what God has promised us for then, and we start demanding it now, our lives don't work right. And one of two things happen. If you're vocal about it, you begin to live a life of pretense. You pretend that everything's better than it is because you're trying to import from God what's for them today. And then you've got to pretend that it's actually here. And it's rather obnoxious, right? If you don't go that route, and you really believe that what's for then is for now, and it doesn't come your way, you're like, I'm done with God. I've asked him, I've prayed, I've thought that he was going to answer, and he didn't come through, I'm done. I don't know how many conversations I've had with people who are done with God simply because they've misunderstood the timing of what God says in his word about what's for then and what's for now. And when you get that confused, it's very uh, difficult. We set ourselves up, I think, for major discouragement. Um, You know, in Romans chapter 10, when we just, you know, get to the next uh, couple of uh, chapters here, Paul is talking about the Jewish people. 
And Paul says about the Jewish people in verse 2 of Romans chapter 10, I can testify about them, Paul says, because he was a Jew. He says, I know the Jewish people, and I can testify about them. Here's what, here's what their problems are. They're zealous for God. Oh, man, are they zealous for God. I mean, they are committed. They are sincere. But their zeal isn't based on knowledge. You could be sincerely wrong. Their zeal it hasn't been based on God's revelation of himself. And imagine being a Christian, being confused about God's truth, being ignorant of what God has revealed, and having a zeal and a passion and all on fire, but not according to the truth. And how confusing that is for people. Um, and so one of the questions, you know, that arises from this is, you know, are, are we content in Christ? Is Christ enough for us? Or are we always after something more in our inner being? Are we content? We have Christ. Do we understand what's for now and what's for then? Uh, I thought that uh, Chris Hemrick did a really great job last week. I listened to the um, uh, CD of his message, and, you know, he uh, focused on verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worthy to be compared even with the glory that's for What's for this life? There's a lot of suffering. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of tears. There's a lot of sorrow. There's a lot of crying. There's a lot of groaning in this life, right? And uh, But what's for the life to come? A lot of glory. And there's a world of difference. And so... Um, the suffering is ours, but it's in hope. And uh, Romans 5, Paul talked about that. We've been through that. But I want to say it's about the timing. We don't get the timing right. Uh, we'll be really frustrated. In the engine of your car that drove you here today, there are two shafts that run the entire length of the engine of your car. One is called a crankshaft, and it's from which your car gets power. All the power to make your car go comes from the crankshaft. The other shaft is called a camshaft. The camshaft's job is to let certain things in at the right time into your engine and let other things out of your engine in order to run smooth. And those two shafts that run the entire length of your engine are tied together by what's called a timing chain or a timing belt. And if the timing is off, your car just can't run smooth. If your timing's off a little bit, your car just runs, but it, it doesn't run very well. And if your timing is way off, your car won't run at all. And sometimes I feel like in the Christian life, if we don't discern what's for then and what's for now, and Paul says, look, you're saved in hope. If there's not an element of your faith that's really deeply rooted in the hope that's to come, you're going to not run well. That'd be running a little off kilter, you know, because... The timing of what comes into our life and what we let out of our life is all important. And it gives us a measure of peace and, and a measure of uh, being able to live our lives in a way that uh, brings uh, sense and peace and, and calmness. And so uh, uh, if you hold on to what's not for now, you're going to be in trouble. And if you close out what is for now, you'll also be in trouble. Um, Every week, uh, every week I read 
the connection cards that you fill out and the prayer requests on the back of the connection cards. And uh, I tell you, every week I groan because one right after the other of all these things that people are seeking prayer for, all these different ways that we're all groaning in this life. We've got relatives that are unsaved. We've got people who are dying without ever knowing Christ. We've got, you know, uh, kids who are rebellious. We've got, and, and one of, and, and you read that, and sometimes I'm actually moved to tears, especially if I know these people well, and I read about the pain and the hurt and the, uh, you know, the stuff that goes on in our lives, this side of heaven, it can move you to tears. You just feel so bad because it's like we're in the war zone. You know, at this particular point in time, and it makes you groan, and sometimes it can be overwhelming when you allow yourself to feel the pain. But what's also for now is this great truth. It's the third groan, that God himself, in the person of his spirit, groans with us, that he understands, that he's promised never to leave us or forsake us. And so many people get that wrong. They think, oh, well, I'm having this horrible time, and it must mean that God has left my life. No. In fact, the truth is God invites us to embrace our pain and use it to identify with him in his pain. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm not afraid. Why? Because the God who's been with me in this life has promised to be with me on the other side. He'll never leave me or forsake me. Um... Back in Isaiah, you know, from a long time ago, um, in Isaiah chapter 43, uh, God revealed what Jesus was really going to be like, the Savior of the world. And uh, this is what the Lord says, He who created you, He who formed you, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. I know you, and I've called you to myself. I've summoned you by name. You are mine, and when you pass through the water, I'll be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they won't sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you won't be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze, for I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba in your stead. Since you are precious and honored in my sight, and because I love you, I will give men in exchange for you and people in exchange for your life. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. I'll say to the north, give them up. And to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar, my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who's called by my name, whom I created for my glory. It's not about you. And I will do what I have promised to do. And you can trust me. Matthew 28, you know, go into all the world, make disciples. I will be with you always. And so here in this passage, in Romans 8, verse 23, uh, we're told, yeah, we have the first fruits of the Spirit. Romans 8, 23. We have the first fruits of the Spirit, and we groan inwardly as we wait for this adoption, for in this hope we were saved In the same way, verse 26, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know how we even ought to pray. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans, with words. The Spirit who lives in us understands our groaning and groans with us and takes that groan and puts it into a language that goes straight to the Father's heart. 
and interprets our groaning whereby we can't even put words to how we just have you ever been in that situation where you just feel like you know what it's beyond me to figure out why I'm like I am I couldn't put it into words but praise God the Spirit of God groans with me he understands what I'm experiencing what I'm feeling and he goes to the father and he brings it straight to the father's heart in the future you know there'll be a fullness in the future the spirit will be fully manifested in obedience and uh, you know will be unrestrained by our humanity the fruits of the spirit which are partial now love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and all will be fully manifested imagine now we have the first fruits but there's more to come it's the reality of God's companionship that gives us the courage to deal with life the way it is. It's the spirit who enters into the hurt and the pain and groans along with us. The spirit himself is our counselor, our advocate, the one that Jesus said will come alongside of us. You're never alone, even though you often feel it. It's the spirit, you know, who groans right along with us. I will never leave you. The spirit groans with uh, words and thoughts that are too deep for words. You know, I, I just thought about this. I, I have um, situations in my life that make me groan, even cry. And so I pray. And usually when I pray, I have great advice for God as to how he could fix things so I don't have to groan anymore. I mean, that's how I start with my prayers. Pretty much it's like, wow, there's this situation, Lord. I know you can do this. Would you please do and, and I've learned that my thoughts are not God's thoughts and my ways are not God's ways I've prayed my brains out for things and God says no and so then after I pray like that I, I figure I better adjust my prayers and I pray something like this I'm like please show me what I'm not getting here please help me to understand what you're up to I don't get it you know, I had lunch with uh, Lee Pitts, the missionary whose colleague was killed just a couple of weeks ago, and um, he said to me, you know, I, I just don't get it. He said, this, this was our best guy. Th this guy, he understood the language better than any of us. He said, you know, if it had been me that God took out, I could understand that, no big loss. But it was him. And he was so good, and he got it, and he did the, he's so vital to everything we're doing. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't get God. Why would he do that? You ever been there? You ever feel like that? You ever say, this does not make sense. Isaiah 55, God's ways are not our ways, and God's thoughts are not our thoughts. I know that feeling, you know? And so then I just groan. After I've give God some good ideas about how he could solve this and he says no and after I say could you just at least fill me in and help me to understand so I can get it and he says you're too thick you're Dutch you can't I can't help you <laughs> so then I just groan I just groan I say you know what I hate this life I can't wait to get released into the life that's promised and I groan but I take such comfort that the Spirit of God himself grabs a hold of that groan takes it straight to the heart of the Father and bounces it back. Look what it says there at the, the end of this uh, passage. It says, and he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to God's will. 
And the Spirit then comes back into my life. It gives me a measure of peace in accepting and trusting that God is sovereign. He is in control. He does know what he's doing and tries to align me with his will. And eventually I come to the place where I have to say like Jesus from the cross, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Because all I can do is groan in this mess. Into your hands. And it becomes a matter then of trust. And uh, eventually, when you say that, you begin to realize that uh, the essence of faith is trust in God, no matter what happens. Job, probably the oldest book in the Bible, said, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. And trust is such an important thing. Faith, when it's combined with hope in the promises that God makes about the future, turns into trust. Faith, when it's combined with hope, the hope that God gives us in the promises turns into genuine trust. And it's trust in the uncompromising love of God that enables us to embrace the pain of this life It's in our weakness, when we don't even know how to pray, that we're assured that God's will is, in fact, being worked out. Next week, we come to Romans 8.28, a favorite passage of probably the majority of Christians in the world. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God. I encourage you and invite you to come back. Okay, Memorial Day is filled with groans. Think of the groans that go on on Memorial Day weekend. Groans that can only be consoled, it seems to me, when we too cherish the values that are bigger than the individuals. And in our case, cherish the promises of God that are bigger than just us. And we surrender ourselves in trust to this God who created us and who loves us and who has a plan for our future. Praise be to God. Let's pray together. Gracious God and Father, we're so thankful for your word. We would be so lost without the scriptures. We would not be able to make sense out of life. We would not know about the promises that you've put out there for us in the future. And on this Memorial Day weekend, Father, we think about Jesus going to the cross in order to buy our freedom spiritually so that we could be free from sin, so that we could be right with you, so that you could smile on us, so that we could understand you're for us and not against us. And we think about the great promises that we inherit, the first fruits of all that's ours now and all that's promised in the future. And we say, thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. We're going to ask our ushers now if they would come and uh, wait on us as we continue.